Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. All we're doing is creating private industry that widens the gap between people who have and people who have not. It comes down, PJ, to a very simple rule of be a good neighbour, talk to your neighbours. And I'd say, because of bureaucracy, I cannot get work permits. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Declan Howrahan has just tweeted this morning. He says, I drove around Summerhill and McCurtain Street like it was Christmas morning. A breeze. It's obvious the traffic challenges in the area are all down to schools. Should the city centre schools change to half nine opening or even ten o'clock or eight a.m. to help the jams? Declan, lovely idea. Never going to happen. But you're right. The streets have been quieter this week with the schools off for the midterm break but we're back to normal on Monday ties in nicely with some communication we've had with a taxi driver Derek I'll be talking to Derek later Derek has written in detail to the city council as to why he thinks the city council is acting illegally with what it's done in a recent set of traffic changes. I'll give you more of that one to talk to Derek a little later on this morning. Derek is taking them on. He's gone to the authorities. He's seeking legal advice. He believes that one of the changes the council has recently made is not just dangerous, but illegal. And I'll talk to Derek about that later on this morning because we all know that the traffic changes that came in since August have made it very difficult to get around the city and not so much for me coming in in the morning it doesn't really trouble me at all but trying to go over Brian Baru Bridge when you come up there through Parnell Place and you're thinking right I just swing down here now and head oh I can't go all the way up around I told you recently how I came out of the Everyman 10 o'clock 10 o'clock on a Tuesday night went into a traffic jam 10 o'clock at night like that's that's crazy and it's it's only 50 days to Christmas I know, I know, I've done this again. 50 days to Christmas, or what's it going to be like over the next uh, seven or eight weeks? And there's Declan's tweet this morning, kind of gets us up. So that, that is to come this morning. Plenty more besides 
checking in again with Onakura. Yes, it is still open. Yes, there are still some people there. And yes, the battle is continuing to keep it from closing. Uh, check in with them as well later on this morning. But first, and you know where you do stuff on a program like this, and when you work in this job for as long as we've been working in it now, you do stuff and you think, right, that's a nice item and it's an interesting item and I learned from that item. And then it blows up off air and you need to go back to it. And I'm not talking about Father Sheehy this time. Um, yesterday we talked about a protest that is coming up on Sunday at CUMH over changes the HSE is imposing in the rules on home birth. The HSE will only give you the okay, as it were, for a home birth if you're less than 30 minutes away by blue light, by ambulance. And the midwives who do these home births are up at arms. The people who have these home births are up at arms. The people who want to have these home births are up at arms. And we chatted about it yesterday and I learned a lot. For example... I learned, and I think some other people did too, that when there's a home birth in somewhere like Doris or Allahees or down in East Cork, the ambulance is on standby anyway. There's an ambulance set aside. The midwife has told the ambulance service, look, I'm going down to a home birth in West Cork. If there's a problem, I'll give you a call. Ambulance has it logged, and if the call comes in, the call comes in. Didn't know that. Did you know that? Didn't know that at all. You wouldn't believe... The response we had to this off air. Uh, Laura Vickers is first with me this morning. Laura, good morning. Hi, good morning. Tell me your experience with regard to home birth. Um, well, I've got three children, um, and um, I my first my first pregnancy, my first birth um, was in the UK, and I decided to go to a midwife led unit there um and uh that was still about a 50 minute drive mm. and i felt um it was an attached to a hospital and i felt that that was a good option for my first um birth and it was fantastic once i got into that unit it was fantastic and the midwives were great um what i did feel was that the journey um and the kind of um the build up to getting into the unit kind of slowed things down for me and was quite stressful Mm. And I actually felt that I would progress a lot better if I was at home. So for my second and third births, that was um, an option. And I had my two, my second and third babies at home. Um, and my third baby I had with um, Mary Cronin in oh. May um, and uh, Deirdre uh, O'Leary Voss, who, who were absolutely incredible. Yeah, Mary, absolutely. Mary was on yesterday and she was telling me just how much they have to train and just how much they have to know and, and, and the, the yeah. safeguards that are in place. I had no idea, Laura, how much uh, safeguarding was done. Yeah, yeah, it was it was so well planned. I'd, I'd say it was nothing, nothing is left to chance. You know, it was it was kind of and I'll, I'll go back to my but with both home birth experiences. Um, but with with Mary, um, you know, I knew her from the beginning. Um, she did all my antenatal appointments. Um, she she got to know my family um, and my boys know her. Um, so there was nothing even down to my um, breastfeeding journeys with them. And it was all the first appointment. Everything was on the table. And it was like, OK, here we are. You know, I had the consult. Uh, I had a, an appointment with a consultant to check my health to check it was safe there was no there was mm. there was no stone unturned <laughs> for sure uh, i think we, <laughs> but, the, the, i my might have had a, a somewhat 
I won't say romantic, but somewhat old-style notion of it being a bit like an episode of Call the Midwife, where she's <laughs> running through town <laughs> looking for her stuff yeah. at one in the morning. You know, it's nothing like okay. that. No, not at all. I mean, when Mary came here, um, and as I said, this was just in May, it was, um, you know, my, my labour started um, in the early hours of the morning. I let Mary know. She um, she was here before, I've got two boys um, who are eight and five, and she was here before they went to school. Um, so I was in the bedroom, they were here, they were asking questions, um, and they felt comfortable to do that because they knew her. And we talked so much about, well, Mary or one of Mary Mary's colleagues will be here um, and they listened to the baby before they went they knew the baby was on the way um, they went off to school um, and Mary was here the whole time um, you know she was I was able to kind of do what I needed to do to to, to relax um, but Mary was was there the whole time you know completely monitoring everything and then she you know Harriet was born um, before the boys came back from school so they came home and she was here um, and it was just the most, it, it felt so safe and, you know, um, it was the most beautiful experience and, you know, and the, the aftercare as well for Mary and, and the midwife team is amazing. They're, they're here every day, um, for yeah, nearly three weeks and, and it's, it's, wow. it's incredible. You know, the, the support I got with breastfeeding and as I said, Mary knew my journey, knew the difficulties I'd had. So instead of it being kind of, okay, this is what we'll do this time when baby's here and baby's hungry. And um, it's like, well, we already know what we're going to do. This is what we'll do. Yeah. This is how I'll support you. This is, and it just took all the stress, you know, that that kind of stress. It's, it's a big situation as it is. Um, and the and idea, just, Laura, that the HSC would impose a, a rule change that if you're more than 30 minutes away by ambulance, you couldn't have that again. Oh, it's devastating. It's, it's such a devastating loss. It, it really is. Just to have that choice, and I think that's the important thing. It's the choice. It's it's knowing. It's being able to explore it as an option, seeing if it's right. And and it just feels such a backward step. It you know, and and all the research that I ever did, it never felt like something. You know, looking at the statistics, it never felt something that was taking more of a risk. And, you know, and, and it just, it doesn't make any sense to yeah. me, especially for women in rural areas where you're so far away from yeah. the hospital. You know, the, yeah. the argument, Laura, might be, well, and they're not here to, to make their point, but if I could, mm. in some clumsy way, make it for them. Well, mm. if you had a problem mm. while Harriet was on her way, if you're in a mm. hospital mm. ward, the white coats that you need around you are seconds away. Mm. If you mm -hmm. have a problem mm -hmm. down where you are, the white coats mm. are an ambulance right away, and the shorter that mm. ambulance ride, the better. Have you any time for mm -hmm. that that argument at all? Uh, pardon, say that again. Any have you time... any time for that argument? Do you have any? I I think I think you have to. Yeah, I think you have to know you're making a choice not to be in a hospital. That is, uh, you know, I think that's. But I think for me. Mary went through everything that she had with her and, and went through every, well, a lot of the scenarios where there would be an emergency situation. And she kind of really outlined, okay, if this happened, this is what we'd need to do. If this happened, this right. is what we'd need to do. And I knew I was going in with it with my eyes, into it with my eyes open. So she was, there was so much detail and in terms of how it would be dealt with, right. what she has in her car <laughs> to kind of, um, deal with situations 
there was no doubt in my mind that she would she would see it and and know what to do and yeah. and that action would be taken. And, and the she, fact that I didn't know this, and, sorry, I didn't know this until mm. she told me. She, she they they already knew at the ambulance service what was happening in case yeah, they were absolutely. Needed. Yeah. It was all on standby, and I knew that. So it was kind of, I felt like, yeah, there was there was no question. And she, her attentiveness and her, you know, she knew me. Um, you know, the, the, there was no, the, yeah, the, it, I kind of felt it was just so planned. Yeah. There was, there was, it, there was nothing. There's no be randomness more about it. Like I said, it's, it's not like no, an episode of Call the Midnight, on a Midwife on a Sunday night. Laura, thank you very much uh, and delighted that uh, young baby Harriet is doing so well and there was such a good experience for you. Dervla. Hi, PJ. Good morning. Hi, you're another one of the people who got in touch with us yesterday. You had a baby in Dingle. In June yes. 2021. Now, forgive me, where's the nearest hospital to Dingle? Tralee, I take it. Is it Tralee General? Tralee General, right. yes. And that's a fair old twist away over bad roads. It is over the Connor Pass. It's, um, I'm west of Dingle, so 10 minutes west of Dingle. Right. Now, it's June, fair enough, so you get through the Connor Pass, but imagine if it was December and you'd have luck looking at it sometimes. So, tell me the story. So, yes, I had the most incredible experience. Uh, Sinead Murphy, my incredible capable midwife, um, my home birth midwife. So I had the journey with her through pregnancy. Um, I was seeing her uh, once a month and then seeing her every, um, every week towards the end of our pregnancy. So she knew me really well. We knew each other very well and we trusted each other. And it was, you know, often it was, she was like my therapist. She was making things more than, more than a midwife. So it was just incredible to know that this woman was going to be with me for my journey and for the birth of my, my baby. Um, when I went into labor, I didn't realize I was having a very, going to have a very short labor. So when I rang Sinead in the middle of the night and told her that it was a little bit more intense than I expected, um, she knew me well enough to know that I was probably playing it down. So she hopped into her car and made it in time for, for the birth. I feel that if I'd rang a hospital at that point and told them how I was feeling, they most likely would have recommended that I um, rested, rested a bit more before making my way. And as a first-time mother, you know, um, labour tends to be longer. Um, so I'm really grateful that I went how, to home. How long was labour, Dervla? It was three hours and 51 minutes. Oh, dear God, that's quick. Like, if you had mm-hmm. left home to go to Tralee General the baby might have been called Connor for very various reasons. <laughs> yes, yes, and hopefully in the future I plan to have another child. And um, they would. My midwife told me that my labour would most definitely be shorter next time. So if these restrictions come into place, that would mean that I would be at home unsupported with potentially such a short labour that I would be unsupported having a baby at home or on the side of the road on, on the way to Trilly General. Well, of course, you could book in, you could book your date in Trilly General and go in. And what would and, be and so wrong with that? But Just sure, book. I wouldn't know. You know, I wouldn't know when I was going to go into labour. Right, yeah. So there would be, there'd be no way that I could do that, you know, unless I was going to book in for a cesarean section, which is a very serious operation yeah. to be taking with that, you know, this way, with if these... If home birth is still possible for someone living in rural areas, this way I know that I'm going to can have the same experience again. Yeah. Safe birth for my baby yes. in the comfort of my own home. Yes. You know, in, in the, it's the, main, the main hormone for birth is oxytocin. So yes. during labour, we want to encourage oxytocin. And everything in a hospital basically reduce oxytocin, like bright lights, not feeling safe, time pressure, sure. loud noises. Sure. And like the easiest way to think about it is anywhere you wouldn't feel comfortable having sex isn't good for birthing. 
Okay. I've not had it put quite that way before, Dervla. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you're going to remember it, though. I can't only see it. Sorry? I can't. I can't unsee it. No, I mean, as, I as, in, as in, as in, as in, I can't even think of the prospect of people having sex in a hospital bed. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And people coming in in white coats, you put it. Um, you know, um, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be very pleasant. It just, it just feels like for me that there's a person sitting in a suit somewhere, um, without doing proper research, without listening to the people on the ground, the amazing, capable midwives, and they're attempting to take away the rights of the women of Ireland. All right, I leave it there. That's great. That's great. You know, you should have, you should be as comfortable when you're giving birth as you were when you were having sex. Yeah. The protest, by the way, is Sunday at half past 12 outside CUMH. I'll talk to Cara in just a sec. Come on, you just won a 500 euro toy shopping spree! Quartz96FM wants to fill your Christmas with fun and play. The 10K Toy Giveaway is back. Get all the details Monday at 8.15am on Quartz96FM. Now, Cara, I think you're in Bellinhasig, so you'd be within the, the limits, as it were, for for home birth with HSE. But you still, you support this protest. Morning. Absolutely. Good morning, PJ. I support and I'm, I'm one of the co-organisers of our protest here on Sunday. Oh, hold on. That's not the best line in the world. Maybe could we drop that back, Rich, to a phone line or something because it's going to sound like a, it's kind of crunchy. We'll see if we can drop it back to a phone line and come back to Cara in a second or two. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Also on the programme, Glow is back. With some doubt about Glow in the last few weeks with energy crises and, and other such things. Glow is back um, and the Ferris wheel will be going up and Bishop Lucy Park will be lighting up and we will have Christmas lights and they'll be going on in the third or fourth week of November. More on that in a while, but we can try to go back to Cara on a line. Is it one you're looking at there, lads? One or two? Oh, wait, one, eight, two. All right. Okay. Cara, you got, I got you there in Ballinhasig, yeah? Good morning, PJ. Can you hear me? Yeah, now? you're one of the co-organisers for Sunday. I am indeed, yes. Okay. Why does it mean so much to you? Well, I myself have birthed four of my five children with the Home Birth Service, so I can only echo the sentiments of the mothers who've been speaking to you over the past couple of days and attest to the excellence of the care I received. Um, you know, for me, it's vital that everybody has access to choice in maternity care, and that's what this represents. The HSE's argument is it's safer. Yeah. It's safer to, to go. Okay, so we know actually, and studies have shown that reducing the travel time to a maternity unit does not actually improve outcomes for mothers and babies. The HSE Home Birth Service is currently the safest operating unit of the HSE maternity services. The outcomes are excellent for mothers and babies alike, and it has the highest satisfaction ratings among the service users. So our service is safe, it is working, yeah. it's accessible and it is vital that we retain it. Mary was saying yesterday, the, the midwife, that it is so well planned with the mother that should anything go wrong, uh, then everything can be handled. But the likelihood of something going wrong is no more or no less than it would be if you were in a ward in COMH. Absolutely. Now, there was a huge study done in the UK there um, approximately 10 years ago 
which looked into this across thousands of people. So a really significant study. And the outcome of that showed that for mothers and their second and subsequent pregnancy, home birth was as safe. Um, and actually, I would argue that further than that, if we go beyond perinatal mortality as a measure of safety, when we look at outcomes, when we look at the rates of intervention, home birth actually really tops the polls there on safety and satisfaction. So this recommendation really, it's not in alignment with the international best practice when we look at other jurisdictions. You know, you look at places like Canada and New Zealand yeah. and their infrastructure and they have operating home birth systems yeah. over much larger distances. New Zealand, you could be 300 miles from the nearest hospital. Absolutely. So, you know, what I would like to put to you then is, is it safer for you to have, you know, up to two midwives right there caring for you on that one-to-one, two-to-one basis or to travel hundreds of miles in the car? And this is what will happen. This is what has I mean, we all know somebody who was birthed in the car park at CUMH or has to have pull in at the side of the road. And that can be really traumatic for families. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people come to the home birth service because they think, OK, should this happen again, I'm much better in my home with two trained professionals by my side with whom I have developed a relationship of trust. Um, and I mean, that's vital. So this mm-hmm. is what this is all about. I'm simply retaining that choice. Home birth isn't for everyone. You know, in the same way that one person may choose private maternity care over public care, home birth is simply another choice. And if we were to, you know, if we were to limit access to, let's say, private care, consultant care, or an epidural maybe, those living within 30 minutes of the hospital, there would be absolute outrage, and rightly so, mm. because it would be arbitrary, not evidence-based, just as this proposed cap on our services. Well, I'm old enough to remember, you mentioned epidural, Cara. I'm old enough to remember a time when epidural was only available on different days of the week. Absolutely. Now, I don't know if you remember that time, but people were clamouring to get into the the hospital on the day they could get the epidural. And that is not patient-centred care. It is not person-centred care. I mean, we are a progressive country. We are a first-world country. There's absolutely no excuse for not providing the highest level of care and choice to maternity service users. There's a thing, can you get, again, this is a man's question, Cara, forgive me. (laughs) Can you get the epidural at home, question one? And question two, what would happen if there was need for an emergency cesarean and you're an hour and a half out of car? Okay, so firstly on the epidural, no, you cannot access epidural at home. Um, Epidural needs to be in the controlled environment of a hospital under the care of an anaesthetic team and monitored. So that's a very, very separate um, model of care, if you like. Now, interestingly, that is one of the reasons why some people birthing at home may choose to transfer. So one in five of our transfers would be around the woman saying, you know what, I'm tired, I've done this or I've tried this and actually right now I would like an epidural. So here then they are transferred across seamlessly with a midwife by their side and again we're supporting choice for women there. With the with the ambulance the that's already pre-booked. Exactly. So you're not making that journey, you know, because you have to travel from home to hospital anyway if you're having a birth of any sort, if you're intending to birth in hospital, for example. But you're doing this with all the care and professionals by your side. But again, we're getting to the heart of the woman has chosen to avail of analgesia. We are providing that. We are supporting her. Now, in terms of emergency. I think this has been covered already to some degree. With home birth, you're looking at a low-risk population. So when an application is made for home birth, you have a robust risk assessment. And that begins at that point of application. It continues right through the pregnancy and into the birth. So at the, you know, from the outset, you're looking at a low-risk population. We're not talking about people carrying triplets, people with preeclampsia, gestational diabetes. Sure. They cannot access the service. If, so for example, Cara, sorry to cut across you now. If, for example, um, <laughs> a, a mother had a history of 
a breach at her previous presentation or there was a history of breach in the family. Breach can be very difficult and dangerous. Would that be considered? Well, you see, that will have come up in advance of the birth, you know, by and large. So breach will have been detected. In I advance. Gotcha. So yes, yes it so does. if I'm here at 38 weeks and Mary palpates and she says, okay, baby's head is up, baby's legs are down, baby's transverse. Gotcha. Then we're moving across to the hospital, we're getting a scan to confirm gotcha. that. And if baby doesn't turn, then yes, it is likely that this would be a case of transferring during the pregnancy. So and that's what happens if the risk assessment changes. And then I would like to say to you, it's vitally important to remember here that our statistics for Cork and Kerry, which are available, they're collated here as well by um, Professor Richard Green at NPEC over here at UCC. And they will show, I believe, in the last four years, I've been correct in saying this, that we have not had a Category 1 emergency cesarean. So that's your kind of really high emergency case. So, you know, when you when you look at the low-risk population of home birth, you can't possibly really expect the same level of risk that you would have for, say, somebody who's carrying quadruplets who has preeclampsia or dangerous So you wouldn't, you wouldn't do it if there was any dangers involved? No, I just no, want to... No. Sorry, so we don't bit... see those outcomes. So we don't tend to see yeah. those outcomes across. And the stats will, will show that they reflect that, you know. No, this is the medical geek in me getting technical. I apologise, Cara. Come well, back, come know, back though, to the experience. You've made actually about the medical geek, PJ, yeah. because what we tend to find is that most people who choose home birth, they, they tend to be very educated and informed in their decision-making. So they have done their homework. They've yes. looked into what each care pathway offers, read the data surrounding home birth safety, and they've made an informed choice. So actually, we tend to all geek out when we look for home birth <laughs> because we want the data, we want the information. And then we will say, OK, what works for my family? It won't work for everyone, but we make that informed choice. Fair point, fair point. What? Just, you know, as part of the protest, I guess you're, you're, you're looking at it from that side. But from your own experience, Karen, what was it? <laughs> It was absolutely extraordinary. You know, it's been one of the greatest privileges that I have experienced um, as a mother. Um, so I've had four of my five children. My first baby was born in hospital and I had lovely care under Keenan O'Donoghue, consultant obstetrician. Um, but at that point, I guess I really knew it was always on our radar. My now husband and I, as a young couple, had heard a story of his mother's friend birthing at home on a cold December night by the heat and light of the fire with their two children upstairs and they came down to meet their baby brother in the morning and it just, it really sat with us. It stayed in our consciousness, I think. So once Luma Rose was born, I think we had pretty much decided at that point we would like to continue any other births in a home setting. So we began to do our homework at that point. Um, and I suppose it's another um, testament to the service that I've come back four times. You know, I've had four pregnancies and births through the home birth service subsequently. So I had, you know, one at hospital, one at home, and then when I compared the two, there was no question of where the others were going to be born. Assuming, again, they were all low-risk pregnancies. I was well, baby was well. But, you know, for my children then, they met their siblings either by waking up to find them or yeah. by being present at their birth. Yeah. Um, so my youngest baby was a COVID lockdown baby, born in June 2020. Um, and so it was a great privilege to know that I was being cared for at home. Obviously, that was a time of great uncertainty. And my husband, my baby's father was present for the labour and birth. Um, his hands were the first human contact my son had. My then 10-year-old daughter was by my side watching it all unfold. It was so momentous for our family. And you make a very strong point, and a, maybe it's intentional, maybe it's not. The point you made is this was a lockdown baby Absolutely. when if you had gone to hospital, your husband would have been nowhere near you. Exactly. And that was crucial support for me um, and I really feel for 
what many women and babies have endured and, and partners and fathers and support systems have endured. No woman should have to birth in those conditions. And it has been borne out in the outcomes we've seen. Um, and unfortunately, it's an ongoing issue that partners are still not permitted for visits in antenatal care. And, you know, birth is a physiological event. It is also a family event. It's a cultural event. Mm. Um, and again, it's all about putting those support systems in place that are evidence-based and then providing optimum care. We can do it. Home birth is a fantastic example of where we do it and we get it right. We mm. can follow that through. If anything, I would call for the expansion of the service, the direction of more interested midwives into home birth care, um, because there's greater demand there. Since COVID, actually, so many more people have sought out home birth. Yeah. Seeking yeah. an alternative, seeking to include their support networks mm. in their birth. You can see why, Carrie, you can see in a way why, why lockdown would have been a game changer. And if, when you, if, if there's the option of a safe birth at home, surrounded by those you love, are the opposite being those you love are out in the car park waiting for news? Absolutely. There's no contest there, is there? No, there isn't. And so then, like many of us, once you experience it once, you're hooked. You see it. You know, Mary and Elke, um, Mary and Elke, Mary has been my primary midwife now for almost 11 years. Brian will be 11 this month. Um, Elke attended three of my breaths and Elmarie the last one. And, you know, we see them as lifelong friends. I'm only echoing what has been said here before. They hold a very special place in our hearts. They really, really do. Um, And we just, the care was exemplary. And I think, I'm not sure if somebody has mentioned here over the last couple of days, the aftercare is a huge facet of home birth. So in the weeks following the birth, we get a number of visits from Mary. So you get a chance first of all to be cared for and observed in those days of a newborn baby, which even if you've had three or four kids before, it's huge. Entering that newborn period again, Mm You get to process the birth. Yeah. You get to tell the story and, again, feel held, feel supported, feel safe. So that's know, a huge... It's a, I mean, it's an absolute gold standard of care. You don't get it anywhere else. You're not just packed off with a by-your-leave. Um, when we started this discussion yesterday, Cara, uh, out to the less than 24 hours on, <laughs> there's so much that I didn't know. This has Isn't been such wonderful? a this has been such a learning for me personally. So I can't imagine what it must be like for listeners to I be learning. So. Because that's the thing, you know, there is something for everyone. But when we close off to this information, you know, we don't do ourselves any favours. It's time that we open up and we listen and say, Okay, gosh, you did that well. And you enjoy that amazing. And yeah. it might not be right for you, but sometimes somebody else will sit at home this morning now, PJ, listening to you and yesterday, and they'll say Gosh, did you know that we could do that? We've already had, I, I don't want to tell you, we've already had messages looking for Mary's number. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. And I can only say <laughs> that they would be the luckiest people to be, to come under the care of the home birth midwives we have here, right. you know. Um, and I just, I suppose I'd really like to say as well that our home birth midwives have a fantastic working relationship with the UMH and their colleagues above there. Obviously, they also work tirelessly above the UMH. We have a home birth clinic that runs once a month. So in addition to the midwifery assessment by the home birth midwives, we have oversight by consultant obstetrician Fergus McCarthy. And there's a fantastic atmosphere among them all. So when a woman is transferred, let's say during pregnancy for any reason or during birth, that handover is done with great cooperation and collaboration. And we really support that relationship between our midwives and our and their hospital counterparts. Okay. Cara, thank you. And uh, thanks also to Dervla and to Laura and to the many others who've called uh, either unable or, or didn't feel like going on the air about this. And like I said, since we started discussing this yesterday with Mary and others, I've learned so much about it in the last 24 hours. The protest, if you want to go to it, is Sunday, 12.30 at CUMH. What they're protesting against is the HSE's decision that from now on, 
unless you are within 30 minutes by ambulance, by blue light ambulance of a hospital, then uh, they won't approve home birth. That's the reason for the protest on Sunday. 0818969696. Marie, I thought a lot about home births, but I don't think I have the nerve for it. At the same time, though, when you hear it's not available and it's such a big thing in your future, it feels a bit like being in prison. You want to have your baby your way. I think that's the important bit, isn't it? Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96FM. Hi, it's Elmarie. Join myself and Connor every Sunday morning to find out what's happening in the arts all over Cork. There's so much happening. Fantastic festivals with great events for all ages and we'll tell you all about them. The Arts House. Sunday mornings 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. Planted, picked and produced in Cork. Griffin's Potatoes. The great taste of home. Cork. 96 FM. PJ Coogan on the opinion line. Silver winner. Silver winner. Best news story at the Imro Radio Awards 2022. Corks 96 FM. Yes, we hear before you know it. Seven weeks today, we will be finishing up on the opinion line for Christmas. Yes, seven weeks today. And between this and that, Corks 96 FM wants to fill your Christmas with fun. And with play. It's back. We had so much crack with this last year. The 10K toy giveaway is back. All the deets Monday morning with Casey and Ross at quarter past eight. And we'll start the giveaways pretty quickly thereafter. Only on Cork's 96 FM. The 10K toy giveaway is back. Monday. 8.15 with Casey and Ross. The Economic and Social Research Institute came up with a recent survey. They do this all the time on poverty and homelessness and they found a number of different things. They found that a third of people below the poverty line were actually working last year and quite a number of them had a third level degree. Now there was a lot more information in this big thick document as always but there's the top line. A third of people were in work who were on the poverty line or below it. And many of them had a third level degree. And it led their conclusion and their headline conclusion was that a job and a degree no longer is enough to keep people out of poverty. And that's certainly a very different Ireland from the Ireland in which I grew up. It's the Ireland in which you grew up in Attacan. And I know you want to talk a little bit about this. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. I'm doing a master's at the moment, but yeah, I finished my undergraduate degree. So, um, yeah, I think the biggest problem for third-level graduates at the moment is it's a two-fold problem. You have low pay, and then in the housing market, then they can't afford to rent. And those in the private rental market have no security of tenure. They could be any moment, at any time, they could lose their home. So it's it's a two-fold problem. Yeah. Like, I know you're doing a master's now, and, and good luck with that. But if, if you were to go out into, into a workplace now, Atikan, with the degree... What did you do your degree in, by the way? Government and politics. Okay. So if you were to go out into the workplace on that degree and try to find yourself a place to live on that degree, how do you think you'd fare? I think right now it's very difficult... I'm lucky at the moment because I live with my parents and I live in a council house in the north side of Cork and I'm, I'm not ashamed to say that. And 
I really don't envy people that are in the private rental market because if at the moment, no, I have to go and look for a place for myself in the private rental market, the rents at the moment are higher than even a, a price of trying to get a house. Yeah. And, you know, you can't afford to get a house either as a young person. You can't afford to rent. And, you know, people on rental support, those rental supports only support the landlords and the rental tax credit of 500 euro again, that only subsidises landlords. So as a young person, you kind of have no option but to emigrate. Like this is the one that came in in the last budget now, as the government said to us, to support renters. You don't believe that that will be the case, that it will help young people or help renters at any level, no? You see, our big problem in Ireland is we never ever tackled the root cause of a problem. We're always looking at just, you know, throwing measures at trying to, you know, ease it for the time being, for the temporary period. But what we look at now in the housing market... For the private rental market, people have no security of tenure. So I know they brought in a um, temporary evictions ban, which is welcome, but mm. they could have done this at least six months ago because we've seen homelessness rates go up there over 11,000 now, and that doesn't even include people couch surfing, people that are in their own parents' home at you know, 28 or 29. So generally, in my opinion, those measures such as the renter's tax credit and other measures like that, they're only actually subsidising the, the mm. current rents. They're actually not tackling the problem. They're just continuing to just say, Ayrshire will throw this measure to look like we're doing something good now. And on, like you- on the eviction ban, because uh, I remember at yeah. the time it, it went through there the last few weeks, I spoke to one or two people in the property game and they said, actually, it's going to drive the small landlord out and make the problem even worse. You see, the, another, that's another problem we have here. We're always talking about the small landlords, but what we actually forget about is those people that are in those houses in the private rental market that are struggling for security of tenure. Yeah. And that any moment, you know, a landlord can just say, we have to renovate the house or, yeah. you know, we have to sell the house because, you know, we want to make a bit of income. Yeah. They can just sell their house. But is, so, is it not the case that, again, that if they all decided, ah, to hell with this, I'm gone, I'm selling we'd be, have an even bigger problem than we have now, so we, we kind of have to mind them, you know? Well, well I, I would actually look at more an approach in Europe. If you see, you know, in Finland, Austria and countries like that, Sweden, what they do is cost rental housing. So in the private market, you have cost rental housing mm. and you have social and affordable housing in the public um, side. So what they should do is they should actually subsidise those landlords to sell their properties to give it to the government and for the government to subsidise cost rental housing that is affordable and fair for all families, low-income families, middle-income families, and all families of all incomes. And then we have to actually build more social housing too. There's so many areas where there's private uh, developers just buying up public land and doing what they want with it. Hmm. Come to the wages thing, Um, and you mentioned the minimum wage, and it's going up to... 11.30, 11.30, I think, on the 1st of, of January. Now, yep. I've been contacted, we've been contacted by, you don't have to take, spend five minutes on social media, to look at business people and see business people who say, hold on a minute here. That's going to put so much pressure on me, I simply can't pay this minimum wage. And if I'm to pay everybody in my restaurant or pub or shop or whatever, this minimum wage, then one of them will have to go so I can pay the others. You see, that, that's again a, a kind of absence of responsibility by those business owners. I know there's not every business owner like this now, but you've, 
you've those businesses during COVID, like the restaurants and so on, that industry actually got subsidised by the government through all the wage subsidy scheme and all the money they got from the government. And they made profits actually over that. So they actually can afford the minimum wage. They can actually afford to pay their employees a living wage. And it's actually better for them because employees will increase their workload and uh, there'll be more staff, um, you know, better morality and better um, morale in the uh, industry and just better morale in the workplace itself. So mm. it's actually a benefit for businesses and it's a benefit for employees. So, so, so don't you don't buy into people or into the claims made by the likes of IBEC or Small Firms Association or ISME or any of those that paying an increased minimum wage will actually cost jobs. You don't buy into that. No, I even, you know, if you look at, I know this is a separate issue now, but you know, in um, Finland, yes. they brought in a four-day working week. And, you know, businesses like these, they actually complain that that's bad for them. And you know what? It's actually increased work pro- productivity in Finland. It's also increased staff, you know, morale. They've worked harder. And, you know, if they have a better life, you know, outside of work, life is not just about being in work. It's also having a life outside of work. Yes. And when it comes to wages then... It's about ha- actually having a wage, you know, at the end of the week where you can say, you know, I worked hard for that. I deserve it. I don't have to work just to pay, you know, for my groceries. I don't have to work just to pay for my rent yes. or just other costs. There's something there the- for me. And the four-day week, and I'm glad you brought it up because I know a number of people now who have tried and stayed with a four-day week, including my own daughter who works a four-day week and loves it. Do you think it's the way forward, Atticon, in a lot of... I know, you probably couldn't do it in my job, but do you think it's the way forward in a lot of places? I, I definitely think it should be. I think we look at those countries like Finland, they've actually, you know, as I mentioned, it increased their productivity of their staff. It's also increased, you know, the relationship between the employer and the employee. They've actually got better, you know, relationship, and it's better for them in the longer run, because at the end of the day, business owners don't want a bad relationship with their employees, do they? because it's their employees that are actually making their income and making their profits mm. for them. So I definitely think it's something for the long term that we should look at. Fair point, fair point. When you've done your Masters, Atticon, can I expect, because I've asked you this before, can I expect to see your name on a ballot paper sometime soon? Uh, well, that's a kind of a question mark in my own head myself. I'm not sure because, you know, I'm not sure whether electoral politics can actually advance, you know, people's interests. I think it's from the ground up. I think people in Ireland, you know, we have a big problem in Ireland that the whole, you know, the whole country is basically a race to the bottom. Low pay workers, people in, you know, precarious industries, people that are just, you know, struggling, just making week by week, just making it by. And I even my own family here, I see, they're just about making it by week by week. They're just about affording to put me to college. And it's like, I think in a 21st century country where we're in one of the top 10 richest countries in the world, we should be a country where we can say every person of all backgrounds and of all incomes can be treated fairly and that they can actually have a life where they can cherish rather than, you know, having to just every week say, oh, at the end of the week, I'm not sure if I can afford this. I'm not sure if I can afford that. It's just, you know, the country we see right now is just, it's gone to the ground. Yeah, we need change. Yeah, well, I don't know what change this will be, but we need some kind of change because we can't keep co- uh, continue with what we've had for the last um, hundred years. Well, I think myself. I'm just saying this to you, young, bright minds like your own, 
uh, you've got a place in, in the political discussion, Attican. Uh, thanks for being with me today, and I wish you well with the Masters. Thank you. Cheers, Attican. Yeah. Bright young minds like that. He makes the point, too, that bright young, young minds like his are gearing up to emigrate. Now, we have more people coming back than are leaving all the time in the last couple of years, but he makes the point that, you know, the minds, the young minds are leaving because there's no future for them here. Wisdom beyond his years, I would say, as young Matt again. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96 FM. The Martin Lawler 5K Memorial Race will take place on Sunday the 20th of November from Little Island Community Centre. Organised by Cork Mental Health Staff in association with Cork BHAA, registration is from 9.30am with a run at 11am. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie. The Cork Diary. With corksimon.ie. Because everyone who calls Cork home should have one. Cork's 96 FM. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 969696. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Yeah, I come to Maggie's comment on just our observation on the whole home birth story. Just a sec. She sent it in on WhatsApp voice note, which you can do at any stage if you want to join the conversation but don't necessarily have time for a phone call. Uh, you can pop us a voice message 083 396 96 Get to that in a while. Also, coming up, the, the taxi taxi uh, taxi driver Derek has been in touch with us pointing out a big problem with changes to traffic in the city since since the 9th of August and Derek in fact thinks and is challenging with City Hall he thinks that one change in particular that was made back in August is illegal and that in fact he believes that the City Council has acted in error in doing it. So I'll talk to Derek in a little while. But first, the good news that we got uh, yesterday was that Glow will be back. There was some doubt about it recently for a number of different reasons. One of them being the energy crisis. But it will be back. Kevin Hurley, president of the Cork Business Association. A big sigh of relief, Kevin. Great news. I personally, just as a punter who loves to come in and do my shopping at Christmas time and get a bite to eat and a drink and just enjoy the city, I would have missed Glow terribly. The business sector must be thrilled with this news. Morning. Hi, PJ. Good morning. Yes, it's absolutely great news for the city centre. There was some doubt um, that it was not good, that it wasn't going to go ahead. Um, it was really to do with the fact that there was going to be construction work done on the Bishop Lucy Park. Yeah. And um, that's been put off now until January, so Glow can go ahead. And I'm the same as you. I love coming in and enjoying the buzz in the city centre around Christmas and going for something to eat and going for a drink. So um, uh, it's it's great news all around for the traders and for the people of Cork. Now, and the, will the Ferris wheel be back and all that? 
Um, as far as I know, it is. Um, I don't think the markets on the Grand Parade are going to be there. They haven't been there in a few years. Yeah. Um, but I, as far as I know, the Ferris wheel is going to be there. I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure, okay. but um, you know the the activities inside in Bishop Lucy Park to be able to some of that going on as well. Right. So uh, overall, uh, it's really great news. And court. we'll have Christmas lights in the city. That was another doubt for a while. Yeah, that was a bit of a doubt with the whole energy crisis and a few other bits and pieces that were kind of going on behind the scenes. But Cork City Council committed this week that they will be putting up the lights between the third and the fourth week of November. So all in all, it's it's um, it's it's going to be a great uh, it's going to be a great year in the Fantastic. city. Now, look, Kevin, I know it's tough times. People are struggling. They're trying to get their pennies together and do the best they can with the price of energy and the price of all that kind of thing. But still, the business sector. Are you looking forward to a good Christmas or are you just there with your fingers crossed hoping that people will come out and spend? Um, I think we're looking forward to, to a good Christmas. I think the general consensus to people is to shop local, to shop in the city. Um, you know, everybody does a bit of online shopping. We're not saying don't do any, mm. but, um, you know, certainly support your local your local traders. Um, we're, we've put a question into Cork City Council in relation to parking and, and some parking alleviations. You know, they did have a certain amount of free parking in the city in years gone by. They didn't have it in the last year or two. Um, but certainly, if there's if there's kind of some kind of an alleviation on parking charges, then more people will come into the city and par- uh, and shop local. So that's what we'd be hoping. Okay, it all kicks off towards the end of November. Kevin Herlihy, uh, current president of the Cork Business Association, of course, the man behind the Herlihy's Centra Shops. Thanks, Kevin. We'll talk again, I've no doubt, this side of Christmas. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. So Glow will be back. The lights will be on. Set. Bishop Lucy Park will be done up. We think the Ferris wheel will be back. Not sure about the markets. They weren't there during COVID. They didn't come back last year, of course. Not sure about that. But look, Glow will be back. And that's that's the good news. You know what we said there about coming into town to do a little bit of shopping? I'll tell you an absolutely 100% truthful story. I'm not making this up. Last year, we came in of a Saturday. Um, for the couple of hours we were going to go for a bite to eat and a drink and just wander around the shops as you do I think it might have been around the first or second weekend of Glow when we came in on the bus uh, on the Saturday afternoon got off there by the library and wandering around wandering around and herself went off into the home care shop and myself and the own fellow went off into another shop and I got something that I have been looking for we had been looking for myself and Queen Bee had been looking for this there's only a DVD box set but we've been looking for it literally since the 90s. I kid you not. This particular DVD box set of a particular TV show, I had searched and searched and searched. I couldn't get it on Amazon. I couldn't get it on eBay. I couldn't get it anywhere. It was just a show that we loved in the 90s. And I found it in the city centre for 12 quid. And I bought it. So, you know, come into town. Search, wander, browse, look around, enjoy our city. You God alone knows what you might find. Yeah. Do you want to know what it was? It doesn't really matter. It was a 90s television show. There were only ever two seasons of it. The second season was no great shakes. It was watchable, very watchable. But the first season of Murder One. Perfection in a crime show. And we watched it back again um, early this year. And it has held up perfectly. I'm, I'm digressing terribly now, I know, but look, it's Friday. You'll allow me. 
Um, so yeah, come into town. You never know what you might find. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Right back to the midwives and the home births and all that discussion. And it twigged an, an idea in Maggie's mind. Hi PJ, I wonder could you find out something for me? Um, maternity hospitals never seem to have a bed shortage. Obviously, they'll kind of know beforehand, like say next Monday, there's 20 women about to give birth. Um, but, you know, I presume they work that out on um, ultrasounds and who's been booked in and so on and so forth. Why can't the same and similar system be worked out in other, like the A&E department? Obviously, say, 4th to 5th of November last year, they had 300 people in, so they could predict that the same thing's going to happen the following year. Um, you'll never, ever hear of a pregnant woman sitting on um, a trolley waiting for a bed. So surely whatever admin system they use in maternity hospitals could be used, or a sample of it, be used throughout other, other departments. I'm just interested to know why, basically, or is there a system for it? Thanks. you go. There's an idea. Um undeveloped that anymore, we can. Thanks, Maggie. 0818 Or if you have a voice note to offer us, you'd like to join the conversation and you don't have time for a, a full phone call, uh, 083 396 96 We're back with Onakura. It's still going on. We promised at the start that we wouldn't leave it go and we and we haven't and we won't. And we're back there next. The Takeover. On Cork's 96FM. Weeknights from 7 on the Big Drive Home. We give you the chance to take charge of our tunes. Join me, Lorraine, as you decide what songs we fire up. I'm good, yeah, I'm feeling alright. Hold me close. And it's, and it's bigger than me. Can I fight your tongue like that? I'm unstoppable. All this late night talking. What we play. See our song list on 96FM Insta Stories with Sophie's Rooftop Restaurant at the Dean Cork. Serving lunch daily over breathtaking views. See sophies.ie. Turn up the music. On Cork's 96FM. So the owner chorus story broke on the opinion line back in July of 2021 when we were contacted initially by a family member to say that the place was to close. At the time, I knew nothing about Onakura, but we've learned more, obviously, since. And then Councillor Liam Quaid has kept in touch with us all along. I went down and visited the place in September of 2021 and met some of the lovely people living there. You know that the deal, the HSE announced they're closing Onakura, and from that day to this, there's been a fight on to keep it open. And at the time, there were 19 people living there. Some of them have now moved out. Quite a number of them, in fact, have moved up. But the fight goes on to try to keep it open. And there's been more correspondence exchanged in the last few days in that bid to keep it open. And I'm joined again by Councillor Liam Quaid. Liam, can you go through the latest in this? Because it, obviously, you know, we've been off now for this. It's been off for the summer. The Oireachtas has been off for the summer and it's just back now. Can, can, can you go through the latest of where we are with regard to Onakura? Morning. Thanks, Vijay. Um, well, uh, basically, um, you, you'll be aware that the Eruptus Health Committee, which is a cross-party committee, has subjected the closure to very detailed analysis over the last year. They yeah. had a lengthy meeting with the HSE. Um, 
they they thoroughly examined building reports. They sent a delegation to visit not only the Unicor Centre but to St Stephen's Hospital in Southfield Court yes. to compare. And one of the delegation was a qualified architect. And after all of that, they concluded um, in very detailed correspondence uh, to the HSC and then the board of management of the HSC that the closure rationale did not stand up to scrutiny, that it would cause um, far-reaching harm to mm. a very vulnerable group of people. And they really set that case out very clearly yeah. and very powerfully. That was but, before the summer. Now you've given us a copy of a letter written yeah. on October 24th. What's that? That's, that's right. You see, what happened was the, the last correspondence the Health Committee had with the HC board was in July where they set all of that out and unfortunately the HC boards just um, rubber stamped the closure over the summer. You, you'll be aware that the um, the Oireachtas was on a, an eight week um, summer break yes. so there was no there was no opportunity for any politicians to at an Oireachtas level to engage with the HC boards so they just quietly rubber stamped this closure and meanwhile over the summer I learned that uh, residents, there was a kind of an accelerated push to move residents out and they were being offered shared rooms in long-stay wards in St. Stephen's Hospital and St. Finbar's. Uh, they were also being offered temporary accommodation in Garnish House. Yeah. Um, and I, I, at least two families that I know um, have said very clearly, and I, I completely believe them, <clears throat> that they are not told that this would be temporary accommodation if they, were, um, if they accepted it. Now, you can imagine what that's like for somebody with a very severe um, mental health difficulty. Yeah. You're in a prolonged state of uncertainty for over a year, and then you're potentially going to another place where you, you, you may face another move in a few mm. months' time. Um, likewise, you're, you're, you're living in a, a, a single room in a town centre location around everything that's been familiar to you for years, that's and you're right. potentially moving to a shared dorm-style ward in the middle of nowhere. Where the nearest shop is 20 minutes' walk away on a good day. Absolutely. So basically, um, the Health Committee are not happy about what has happened, and they've written back to the HSC boards um, again in, in great detail, setting out their concerns. And they've also highlighted, uh, I think, very early on, that when the residents of the Onacor Centre were written to originally in June of last year by local management, they were told that unfortunately they would have to move. And they would have to move because they deserved a better quality premises. Yeah. It, and they deserved a, a service that uh, met the high standards of the Mental Health Commission. And yet, many of them are now being offered, some of them have already been moved to services that not only are, are inferior, you know, in, in respect of having shared rooms, being uh, very poorly located away from any urban centre or public transport, mm. but also those, those um, facilities have had lower uh, mental health commission compliance ratings year on year yeah. than the owner car centre. Yeah, they're, so they're, not, they're not what they were promised. They're not the, the better and they're not no. the more comfortable places that they were promised. It's, it's over a year, Liam, since I had the privilege of meeting some of those lovely people in, in their home in the gardens of, of Onacor. It was September of 2021. How many of them are left now in the centre? There's seven uh, remaining residents, and I was actually there in the centre yesterday with Grace O'Sullivan, the Green Party MEP, yeah. and we met six of the residents and some of the family members, and it was a really um, heart-rending meeting. Um, several of the residents spoke very clearly um, of the terrible injustice of closure and of the serious impact it was having on them and on their families. And all of them spoke very, very highly of the service and the staff, mm -hmm. and, and they spoke about the Onacora Centre as 
providing them with, with a level of stabilization and, and um, community connection and meaning in their lives that they don't feel they're going to find elsewhere. And I, I was in there yesterday and, and you know, the, it, it, the, the weather brightened up and the sun was coming through. And I, I was just taking stock of how fine the premises actually is. Yeah. Because I've worked, I've worked in different services myself and I've worked in St. Stephen's Hospital. And I was really struck by how much more like a home within a community yeah. it is um, than the wards in Sarsfield's courts. And, and hearing the distress and the worry voiced by residents, um, I, I just found it so hard to get my head around how this could be happening in 2022. Is there, even at this late stage, and like you said, the whole thing was quietly rubber-stamped during the summer months, <clears throat> is there anything at, the, at this late stage, Liam Quaid, that could stop the closure of Onakura? Well, what I would like to know is, I mean, we, we often hear about, you know, the HSC, the HSC is a sort of a monolith. You don't hear about the individual people making decisions. And likewise, the HSC board isn't um, generally, it's not well known who the HSC board are and who the, the individual people on it. And what I would like to put it to the individual members of the HSC board, and, and some of them are, are well known and some less so, is... If, if you uh, style yourself as somebody who, uh, you know, has an oversight role of the organisation, if, if you style yourself as somebody who is a voice for the vulnerable, how, how can you possibly stand over um, these very, very vulnerable people who've suffered hugely in their lives ever prior to being in the mental health services, being told that they're moving because they, they, they deserve a better quality premises and because they, de- they deserve a, a, a premises that meets the high standards of the Mental Health Commission? And then they're being moved to shared rooms in long-stay wards that have lower mental health commission compliance ratings, mm. detached from their communities. How, how can you, as a person, stand over that? Do you still have confidence, Liam, or even a belief at this stage, that if the board were to say, stop, this could be stopped? Well, they, they, uh, that's, that's, that's a given, because they have that authority. And likewise, the government has that authority. And what well, the government like, you know, has said it's not doing anything. Mary Butler said she's not intervening, so that's off the table. But if you're appealing directly now to the board of the HSE, yeah. please stop this. I'm appealing to both of them because they both have the authority and they, they both have made that choice without really engaging with the facts and without engaging with stakeholders. And the HSE board haven't um, agreed to meet with families and they're a key stakeholder. And that's what you're very, calling very, on today. Are you calling on the HSE to come come back to the table, to the board, one more time, Liam? Well, it's not even me calling on it. I'm an obscure councillor. This is the, the health committee. I, I can be easily dismissed as, as you know, somebody who's, who's not important, but I don't think the health committee is easily dismissed. And that's what this correspondence is. It's a clear appeal to the board of the HSE to take one more look. Yeah, and, and to, to look at the to look at the incontrovertible facts that have been presented. Mm-hmm. Do you think we'll still be having conversations like this in another year, Liam Quaid? I, I, it's it's very hard to say. I'm going to operate on the assumption that this can be overturned. Now, I, I'm I'm realistic about that. I know that there's a very dwindling um, prospect of that, but at the same time, sometimes. Um, when something is, it seems immovable for long periods, it, it can take, you know, something that seems relatively minor to just um, completely change the course of events. And, and I think we, what we have had is a cumulative um, build-up of, of evidence and a cumulative build-up 
of a very compelling emotional testimony from the people affected. Yeah. I, I, I think for, what the organisation is counting on is that their fatigue will set in and people will lose interest. And there is an element of, of that. But just people, I think when you meet the people, you see up close yeah. the impact of this and you yeah. see what a service could be. Yeah. You know, we have a health system that's beset with crisis. And here you have a, a, a service that's been working exceptionally well for 34 years and the HSE is hell-bent on, on destroying it. And it's outrageous. Liam, as always, good to catch up. We'll talk again. Thanks, Peter. Cheers, Liam. Liam Quaid. Still, a, there's still this clinging to this belief that if the right people say stop, it can be stopped. Um, do I cling to that myself, having covered this since day one? Uh, if I didn't believe in it, I wouldn't continue with the story. Um, but at the same time, I'm a bit of a realist, and, and I kind of think that upstairs, behind a closed door, a decision was made, that place is closing. And rather than lose face by coming out and say, okay, okay, we won't close it. No. I unfortunately don't believe it can be reversed. And God almighty, I would love so much to be wrong because I've met them down there and you know I've met them. They're beautiful people, just lovely people. Lovely, sweet, gentle people. Anyway, we'll come back to it. 0818969696. Kate wants to know what's happening to Glenwood House in Carrigaline. The HSE bought it and it's still empty. And empty it shall remain for a while, Kate, because there's a planning issue. Off the top of my skull, I can't remember the precise details, so I won't run a risk of being wrong. But there was a planning issue with Glenwood and its conversion into a centre. And it's still closed, and I don't think that planning issue has been sorted out. Thank you. 0818969696. Back to home births and a very, very impressive and well thought out message. Next. Access all areas on Corks 96 FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael with a look at Corks Entertainment. Wallace Bird brings songs from her new album Hands to Cypress Avenue for a show taking place on Friday, November 11th. The Wexford singer songwriter has a huge loyal following on Leaside with many memorable gigs here, and tickets are on sale now from cypressavenue.ie. Access all areas. Ireland's best loved and popular tenor Finbar Wright returns to Cork in 2023 when he plays for one night only at Cork Opera House on Saturday 18th of February. Tickets are on sale now from the box office and also from CorkOperaHouse.ie Access All Areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events or gigs by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie Access All Areas Your guide to nightlife on the side on Cork's 96FM when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Now, if you're following the story of the Harborview Road bus connect compulsory purchases, all of that I will go back there in a second because there's been some development in the last few days but first of all this came in and <clears throat> like I said this time yesterday or yeah, I knew little or nothing about home births I certainly didn't know how well organised it was I certainly didn't know how safety conscious they were, I certainly didn't know for example that an ambulance is placed on standby before any home birth, that they know there's going to be an ambulance there. And in the context of that, we've been having a discussion on a, a protest planned for for Sunday. And I've been really blown away by the, the level of thought and worry and research that women are putting into this decision. Katie has been on to us. Just a note on home births. There's nobody in the world that wants safety for their baby more than the parent themselves. This notion that women are selfish, which I've seen comments saying uh, uh, online about it, for choosing home birth and putting their own experience ahead of the safety of their baby is ludicrous. As has been stated by many of your callers, the HSE home birth service has impeccable data to support the safety. Leaving the hospital with a live baby and a live mother is the absolute minimum that should be expected when it comes to giving birth. But unfortunately, that's how we're conditioned in this country to think, well, as long as the baby is safe, etc., etc. Of course, we all want the baby to be safe. But we also don't want to be traumatized in the process. Everything has risks, including hospital birth. And women and families are capable of assessing that risk for themselves. Thanks, Katie. And yes, it is so obvious now to us here on the team from the people contacting us about this protest, that the, the risk assessment, the thought, the worry, the concern, the discussion that's going on before someone says I'm having a home birth. It's amazing, actually. It really is. 0818 96 96 96. Right. To Don from Impact Community Matters. We've talked before, Don, about the plans for Harborview Road, compulsory purchases, speed bumps, the whole thing. There's been some progress. Morning. Yeah, that's right, PJ. Uh, PJ. We, uh, we got notification there that Cork City Council and uh, the local area committee, they're going to. Uh, we started out with 25,000 way back when. Mm. That uh, that money was allocated uh, for speed ramps and traffic calming measures, so uh, they put that on the, the back boiler anyway for a bit. So they they came back. We met with an engineer from city council on the road, and we walked the road with him. No, we also walked the road with Bus Connects 
uh, those lads. So what came from the city council now is that uh, the engineer, the city engineer, fair play to me, Eamon, that he came up with a plan. He devised a plan up uh, with traffic camera measures for Harvey Road. Now, the other side of that is that the funding was needed for this. There was 25,000 already allocated from the year previous budget. And then we've thought that, you know, we'd have it over the line. But where we came back with the money, where they came back for the cost of it. So now we're after raising 225,000 right. for the traffic camera measures. So, right, it's for, for speed uh, bumps and stuff. Yeah, so what they want what they want to do is that uh, they want to put two tabletop uh, ramps on Harvey Road. One would be by Bearer Drive there and then there'd be another one further out mm. uh, towards the, the, the Apple Green, the, the garage. And what they're also going to do then is that they're going to put lights on the road. So it's like the, the traffic calming measures that you see where the light would flash, but these are traffic lights that will, if, this, if the car is speeding, the light would change to amber and then change to red. Okay. So basically they're stopping the traffic. Now, I have never seen those lights. Smart, so smart I lights, know. I think they call them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, that's what they're going to do. They're going to put one or two of them on the road. Uh, so we, it's going over Section 38 now. So that will go to public uh, consultation and things like that. And then probably in a couple of months' time, then hopefully that uh, they will start the construction of the tabletop ramps you know it, have, it, have they got a have they got a contractor yet Don? no contractor yet no no uh, and we, we're not sure of who actually will be taking up the works whether it's going to be Cork City Council themselves through their engineering and traffic mm. management department I'm not sure but there was no name of a contractor as of yet but, but at least it's going to happen yeah yeah it is going to happen this time thank God uh, again with the support of the councillors and again, uh, David Joyce in Croxley Hall, you know, mm. for taking on board that time with that, when we were going through the pandemic. And, uh, you know, it, it's just to get the shovels turning now is, mm. is the big thing. But look, we, we welcome them. The price has gone up. Like, the money's coming from the, the local area committee. So they allocated 100000 out of this year's budget. You, you know, from where we were to 25000 we're yeah. on far over that, where that money could have been used other way, in other areas. But look, we welcome it and it's positive. Uh, yeah, and we met Bus Connects, uh, Hugh Cregan and Khan and uh, another one or two of the lads. We walked the road with them again. Yeah. And Hugh Cregan, you were talking about Hugh Cregan there and the Bus Connects lads with all the debacles going on around the city. And yeah. He, he, I think he's a genuine fella, Hugh Cregan. You know, he's very... But to be fair, Don, I, I've never met him, but I know a number of people who have and they've said the very same as you've mm. just said. He's a reasonable fella with a straight head in his shoulders, yeah. when you show him a problem, he'll say, okay, I'll try to solve it. Is that the impression you got? Yeah, definitely. When we spoke to him, when we met with his colleagues on the road, you know, we were said we, we had our plans done out to say that that won't work, that can't work, that will work. And they were listening, and, you know, and uh, they were listening attentively because when we spoke about the, the cycle lanes on Harvey Road, is that we said to him, run it through St Mary's campus. You know, it'll be lovely, quiet boulevard going up through St. Mary's campus and break out there by Terence Maxwini College. And, you know, it, it would take the bicycles off the main road. It would put them into this safe location of where then, you know, they looked at it. OK, we'll contact the HSE, they said. You know, and we were surprised that mm. how accommodating they were. I think that they didn't know the gravity of with the area of the city. You know, they're not from Cork, so they don't know 
exactly what what yeah. Cork City holds for them. Uh, and They're like working off a, a of a map. Oh yeah, that's that that's that's the thing, you know. And you know, because we said that when we started, like you know, we didn't see any anybody on the road doing surveys or anything like that. And you know, we think that they got it from Google Maps. But when they came to the area, they actually stood back and said, "Whoa, you know, we we can't do this. We can't." We okay. put up proposals for us. So, we're so that, 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 that's very positive, Don. I'm thinking that people living out around Tory Top Road, and I'm thinking people of Douglas Road yes. and all those in Ballinlock areas and Ballincollig areas, all have been spoken spoken uh, on on the opinion line in the last couple of weeks about their concerns. You're saying that when you bring them down on the road and walk the road with them, they'll say, "Okay, okay, can't do that." Yeah. And I think the, the, the key for it, uh, PJ, is to engage with them. No, we don't want to see the cherry blossoms go and out and Tory top. They're beautiful. But I think if you come with another plan to them, they will listen and they will take it on board, you know, and okay. it's trying to get that through to them. That's good but advice. But I think they are reasonable, to be fair to them. That's good advice. Well, you've had some good news then to, to finish out the year, as it were, up around your area. You've been campaigning all year. We did. Yeah, we, we, it, it's been going quite a bit. And, uh, you know... As we said at the start, we'd done our homework, PJ, and we didn't want to look like, you know, going in there with our pants hanging down, you know. And we done, we done it well, I think, and the, the other members of the team Good. on the page and the residents themselves. And look again, the councillors, you know, to the councillors for keep, that they kept supporting it and allocating the money. I think that, that, that was the crucial bit. And again, to yourselves for supporting us all through the campaign. We really appreciate it. We're always here, Don. Thank you very much for Great that. that, that thank that's you, kind of you. Don O'Sullivan from Impact Our Community Matters. Coming to the end of the year, good news for that general area of Harbourview Road. And listen to what he said about Bus Connects. They brought the gaffer from Bus Connects up there. They walked the road with him. And he's gone back and said, no, no, we can't actually do that at all. So hopefully that is positive for Tory Top Road. That's positive for Douglas Road. That's positive for Ballancolic. It's a conversation that will continue, I suspect, well into 2023, but one we'll continue to have. 0818 96 96 96. Also, a conversation that is going to happen and going to continue is the one on traffic changes around the city centre. In particular, the changes that were made in autumn, in, or in August rather, of, of this year. And Derek O'Keefe is a taxi driver and Derek has been doing some work on this and is campaigning hard to get some of the changes reversed because Derek, you say it's very difficult to be a taxi driver in Cork right now. Morning. Good morning PJ. Indeed it is very difficult um driving a taxi at the moment and looking after customers, especially since the new road changes have come into play. Um, these new road changes are making it impossible for us to get our customers to the necessary destinations. Like, go through them. We, we know that since the 9th of August, you can't go right over Patrick's Bridge. You can't go right over Christie Ringbridge. Now, they don't apply to me because I'm coming to work in such a way that I go left over Christie Ringbridge. But for you as a taxi driver not to be able to go right over either of those bridges, what's it mean? It means very, very long delays for our customers and members of the public, PJ, are unfortunately paying more for their taxi journey because they're stuck in traffic. And they're not moving. The meter continues to go up. Um, and the knock-on effect is that we have a lot of 
business customers uh, and members of the general public that are missing their buses, uh, they're missing their trains because we're not moving anywhere and we're, uh, we're stuck in traffic. The problem is, PJ, is that city council in their judgment have decided that only buses can turn right mm. over the bridges at this present time. Now, the problem is all, all the time, for as long as we know, taxis and buses run in tandem. I was just so, going to say that, Derek. I mean, always and ever, I would have rem- thought of a taxi as just another form of public transport. Okay, privately hired, but a public transport, so that where a bus lane goes, so too can you. But that's not happening here. Yeah, it's a very strange one, because under the Road Traffic Act, it clearly states that a bus lane can be used by a taxi under the um, the course of their duties. So when a, when a taxi has passengers on board and we're travelling from destination A to destination B, then we have always been allowed to use bus lanes. Now, what Cork City Council are stating is that only buses can turn right. Now, under the Traffic Regulation Act, that still states that taxis have the same rights as buses. But for some reason, PJ, City Council don't want this and it's causing havoc. And are you suggesting, and I know that you've you've written to the authorities here to check this out, is it your belief, Derek, as a taxi driver of many years standing, that the council is in the wrong when it does this? It's completely wrong, PJ. It's, it's putting the general public at risk. And if you don't mind, I'd like to touch on this particular point because I've witnessed this two or three times and it's really starting to, to scare me. If a person is coming in the direction of the South Link and they're heading towards the air coach, which is situated um, adjacent to the, the Coliseum, which most people in Cork would know. Yeah. If we come up that street, PJ, we can, uh, where the Coliseum is on our left-hand side, that is a right turn only for buses, which means under the council rules that we cannot take a right turn. This is up the side of the Coliseum now where you'd head up to St. Luke's or you can turn down by the train station if you're a bus, but you can't. Exactly. So what's happening, PJ, is imagine this. You have people inside your taxi. They're trying to make the air coach so they can get to Dublin to get their flights. So we now have to take them all the way down Patrick's Quay. And you can imagine traffic in the afternoon. When we get to the end of Patrick's Quay, we have to take a right onto Bridge Street, stop at the traffic lights, go all the way up to McCurtain Street, stop at the traffic lights outside, and then go up and park, which can take between 20 and 30 minutes. You've got to do a whole city block instead of turning right. Yes. But what happens, PJ, is these people are nervous that they're going to miss the air coach, right? And they're going, okay. What, what, do I have any other option? The only other option that we have is to take a right going up Ship Street and then taking another right which will take you down by the Dean Hotel. And if you're lucky enough, you will find some parking space down towards there, which means people are running with two or three heavy cases to try and run up the street, run across traffic to try and make a bus. And when you're late for a bus, BJ then logic and reasoning goes out the window and the only thing you're thinking about 
is making that bust mm. and they're running out in front of traffic. You've queried all of this with the authorities. Who have you written to? I've written to various politicians. Um, I've added Thomas Gould onto this. I've added Micheál Martin onto this. Um, I'm currently corresponding with the Acting Chief Superintendent Murphy of the Garda National Roads Policing Bureau. The list is long, PJ. And at the end of the day, why I'm pushing this so much is a customer should be able to get to point A to point B as quickly and safely as possible. Under the Taxi Regulation Act, we are told to bring people on the shortest route possible. Yes. Yes. Because of city council trying to make these rules, customers are paying more because they're stuck in traffic and they're also being put at risk because for the like of the air coach, we can't take that right turn. Why are people expected to pay more and wait in traffic for 20 to 25 minutes when we should be able to take that right turn with buses. And they're jumping out of the cab, paying you what they owe you there, and they're running through heavy traffic for a bus in a hurry, which is a recipe for accidents to happen, is what you're saying. I, I've seen it, PJ. I, I, I've seen this. I was working all, all over the weekend. I had two elderly people in my car, and that's why I went heavy on this email on Monday night and Tuesday. Two elderly people trying to get to the air coach. It was lashing rain. I said, to hell with this. I only had a shirt on my back and I, I walked them across the road to the bus stop. I got drenched. It doesn't matter to me, but they got there safely. How can you expect people that are elderly with two large suitcases that are heavy to navigate these city traffic in peak times? Someone is going to get seriously hurt, PJ. Your view is that this decision by City Council not to allow you go where the bus can go, you believe that's in breach of, of traffic regulations. Has anyone come back to you to legally say, yes, Derek, you're right? No, the only reply I got, um, and I sent it on to your office, was a reply from the uh, Garda National yes. Road Policing Bureau. have that. Well, they haven't really said anything in it, have they? No, they haven't. And all we're looking for is look, it's, it's very simple. We as taxi drivers want to look after customers. We don't want them paying more than they need to. We want to get them to their destination as quickly as possible. It's as simple as that, PJ. Let us use the buses. Let us turn right. Let us drop off at the air coach because there's a, the further benefits of this is we'll be able to drop customers as quickly and safely and as efficiently as possible, but we'll also be able to carry on to the next job and save waiting time for people wanting to get a taxi. Mm. People talk about, oh, I, I found a taxi and it was 30 minutes. Why was that? Because the taxis are stuck in, in gridlock in the city. Let us move freely, drop our passengers and safely get to the next passengers and let keep people moving. Derek, are you out this weekend? I am. Good luck with it. Thanks as always for your time. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. There's a logical, cogent argument, if ever I heard one. Yet, I have a copy of that uh, note he had back from the Garda National Roads Policing Bureau. It says, Mr. Derek O'Keefe, I'm directed by Acting Chief Super Murphy from the Garda National Roads Policing Bureau to advise receipt of your email and advise your concerns have been acknowledged and the response will be forwarded to you as soon as possible. That's from the 
official office. But nothing else other than than that he got his letter and they've got his correspondence. But the point he's making is every other time you've had a bus lane brought into effect in the city, taxis have been able to use it. But these particular bus lanes over Christie Ring Bridge, over the Opera House Bridge, or over the Patrick's Bridge, and down the side there of Brian Baru, down to the to the train station, tra- taxis can't use those ones. And you see the point that Derek is making, how difficult it makes it for, for customers. Mm. On Owen Akura, Pat Buckley, uh, Sinn Féin TD for Cork East, was on. And he said, here's a bit of news for you. I spoke with Mary Butler last week again on the closure. Um, I'm continuing to work on it and I have now asked the European Ombudsman to investigate the closure of Onakura. So there's a story that hasn't gone away and one we have vowed to and we will follow until whatever the bitter end is. The lines are live and we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, last hour of the week. It's been a short week, but a busy week on The Opinion Line. Lots going on and lots to get done before we finish at 12. Mary was on to say the number of taxis cruising around bus lanes during the jazz with one person in them was a sight to behold. The whole reason the roads were changed was to encourage people to take public transport. Mary makes this point, taxis are not public transport. I do agree private buses were put in the wrong place. They worked much better off Patrick's Quay, where the buses are now only work for people coming from Kent Station. Yeah, Mary? Derek's point was everywhere that buses have been allowed to go, taxis have always been allowed to follow except on those bridges. 0818-969696. Now, here's a man who was home for what was a brilliant weekend. I mean, he had a ball on the couple of nights I was out. And, Johnny, you were home from the UK for the weekend, uh, back yeah. in London now. And a couple of observations that uh, that you made while you were here at the weekend. Morning. Morning, uh, PJ. Yeah, I know in the past you've mentioned about this uh, Kinsale bus being a disaster. Oh, yes. But like, so pre, pre-COVID, it was a complete disaster because I come into the airport and up on the, up on the display, you know, outside the airport, yeah. where, where, where the parts. Yes. The timings were always all wrong and tourists were just looking around with amazement. Where's the bus? And the bus wasn't coming. But like to be fair now, since COVID, it has improved. But I was walking in town on Monday. Now it was it was raining every cat and dog in the country in Cork on Monday. It was brutal, yeah. And I I walked past um, Clarion Hotel. Yeah. And there you had the, the queue for the bus. Now I presume go, again going to the it was going to the airport, and it was chucking down. I I, I don't know why they moved the bus stop from the bus station over to that Mickey Mouse bus stop mm. where you have no shelter or nothing. Like, it, it's embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. We talked about that there a couple of weeks ago, actually, yeah. And, all, and like, also, like, like, like the leap cars. No, no, I know, I know you, you, John, like, you, you can top it up on, on your phone, but, like, tourists won't know that. You can't buy a leap card in the bus station 
Now, Can before you, not... you couldn't buy it. No, no. There's never, PJ, there's never anyone in that bus station. Right. You must go across the road to the spa shop over by Parliament Place. Right. To top there's up never leave. anyone. Yeah, to top up or buy one. Right. And the same, same in the airport before. Now, I'm not sure if that changed in the airport, but in the airport before, you couldn't buy a leave card. You couldn't top it up. It's just embarrassing, lads. Yeah, yeah. The whole it, it has improved now slightly, but yeah, it, it is embarrassing. The, the bus service okay. going to the airport. Yeah, you were saying that you were checking in after home for the weekend. You were checking in early to the airport, so you needed to oh, be there. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Like so, my flight was at ten past six right. on Tuesday morning, and there was another flight at ten past six. Um, and I, like now again, no, it was the midterm break. And there's another flight at half six. But like the first bus from the city was half five. Yeah. So like that bus was way too late to bring anybody up to uh, the airport. So yeah, I had to pay 20, 20 euro for a cab. Right. So you have the flights out very, very early. Three flights out. It's like, like now Ryanair, you know Ryanair, pack them in and, and whatever. So like you're, you're talking... Five, six hundred passengers. Now, okay, not all of them are coming from the city. Yeah. But, like, there should be something. But you're saying, Johnny, your flight's out of the airport before there's a bus to get people to the airport for those flights. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. yeah which doesn't make sense at all. The first the, the first bus is, is just too late. Mm. I, don't know, I, I know, I know, maybe not all of it to, to conceal. But like at least to, to, to the airport because no, that's a very, that's actually up. a fantastic point, Johnny. That from your whole contribution, like there you are with a flight at ten past six, and realistically, yeah, ten, ten past, past six. six that means you've got to be in the airport for half past five. We'll say at the maybe you should really be there ten past five, but but there's no bus yeah, to get it, you there. No. And and I remember seeing a I remember asking a bus driver um, in, in Cork on Monday, and he said, "Oh, there might be one at ten at ten to five. I thought, okay, might now is no good to me because Michael O'Leary doesn't wait for you. Yeah. So if if I got it, then I, 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 I well if I'd gone to get it, I wasn't there. Then I was screwed. Yeah, it's a that's a fantastic point that you raise. We have flights going out of Cork Airport at ten past six in the morning to get to various important destinations and there isn't a bus service from the city no. to get you there in time to, 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 to make that flight. Yeah, and, and at the moment, everything, lads, is online. There's no yeah. timetables in, in the bus station at all. You, go oh. on, you, you have to go online. Mm. I guess that and is the way of the world, bus. though. That's, that's the future. Well, right? it is because my mother's bus pass ran out uh, in the summer and she rang up to find out how to um, renew it. Yeah. And she was told, you have to go online. <laughs> yeah. That is, that's, uh, yeah, that's madness. That's not the world she grew up in. No, it's not. No. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know why they moved that bus stop from the bus station over to that Mickey Mouse stop by uh, the Clarion. Or Clayton or Rivers Card, yeah. Clayton, yeah. No shelter there whatsoever. None, none, none. We've had that. We've had that, that one out with people. People getting soaked there in the evening to try and get the bus, and then they yeah, get on the bus. Yeah, yeah, now they put a, a yeah. double decker on the route 
for extra capacity. For the, for yeah, I didn't see any double deckers now um, when when I was um, no, just to start, just to start on Tuesday, I think, on the, in November anyway. So, oh yeah, yeah, but that's yeah, uh, l- l- yeah. L- like to be fair, the timings have improved, but yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know who is, is running this because also I was told it's Dublin now is running the Cork uh, bus system. Yeah, well, the Nas- National Transport Authority, they, they yeah. define everything, yeah. They define yeah, it. You can't yeah. scratch your arse inside in bus or bus station in town without the National Transport Authority saying it's okay to do so. Johnny, listen, you're back in London. You, you come home every year for the jazz, do you? That's best weekend of the year, wherever you are. Good man. It's some crack. Good man. Yeah. All, all right. All right, Johnny. I know you're a regular listener to the show as well in the UK. Good to have you on board. He makes a couple of great points there, though. Particularly, so you have a flight out of Cork to London, 10 past six in the morning, but no bus to get you there in time. I'm sure if you're going, say, Ryanair to Stansted at 10 past six, Yes, you click, you check in online. Yes, you're boarding past these days on your phone. It's all clickety-clickety and grand and fast and everything like that. But you still need to be actually on the ground in the airport by, I would say, 10 past, 20 past five tops to go to 10 past six, just to make sure you get through without a hitch. There's no bus. There's no bus to get you there. Or at least if there was, Johnny wasn't sure about it. He ended up paying 20 quid for a taxi. Just one story that's in the news today. We haven't touched on it yet. Kevin mes- mens- or messaged us or tweeted about it. And this is Twitter. Uh, Elon Musk, the new owner of Twitter. I said during the week, really, him being the owner of Twitter wasn't bothering me that much. I really couldn't care less until today. When news broke this morning that there's about 500 people. We know about 500 people working for Twitter in Ireland. And a lot of them are very well paid. A lot of those jobs are, are well-paid, good IT jobs. They're being fired, loads of them. And they're being fired by email. And here's how the crack works, right? You'll get an email today if you're an, a Twitter employee. You'll get an email. If it goes to your work email, you still have a job. If it goes to your personal email, you're finished. It's as cold and as clinical and as horrible as that. I mean, we thought the workers at Debenhams were treated cruelly. So you work for Twitter. You'll get an email today before four o'clock. If it comes to your work email, come back in on Monday. If you're getting to your personal email, then you need to sign on. That's cruel. Kevin Kevin says if this was a, a retail shopping chain or a factory, there'd be uproar. But there seems to be some snobbery around tech jobs. It's November. There's a recession coming. This must feel like a disaster. Yet yeah, seven, seven weeks to Christmas, Kevin. You got a point. And these are good jobs. Like these are, some of these jobs are very well paid, good wages, and gone like that by email. No, kickboxing. The sport of kickboxing is is huge in Cork. Uh, in fact, the, every time you talk about it, you find out more. It's on the rise. And there's one young man is uh, knocking up some huge achievements. And uh, delighted to have him on the show this morning for a chat about the sport and about himself and about what got you into it and the likes of that. Taylor Heffernan, morning to you. 
Hi, PJ. How are you? Good, good. How did you get into a sport like kickboxing? How did you discover it first? Well, I mean, it all started coming up in Cline. I grew up in a small town in East Cork. Um, I was always, I was a little overweight as a kid, so I was introduced to the likes of ga, soccer. I didn't really take to those sports, and so I found myself in a bit of a bad spot. And then it was my eighth birthday. It was my dad, actually, who was my head coach to this day, um, introduced me to kickboxing. There was a small local club and fell in love with the sport ever since. Mm. What what birthday was it you dropped for there? It was my eighth. Your eighth it, it was my eighth so birthday, so, so 10, 11 years ago. 11, 11 years ago, and and you just kept at it. What was it about it that that attracted you to it? Well, I mean, for me, I just I took to combat sports straight away, but really it's the lessons that are taught. There's lessons through martial arts in particular that can't be taught through any other sport. It's There's moral code, really, that's taught through it. And I loved it. And then I took to the competition side of things. And once I took to that, then it was it was game over then. It, it took everything over then. Brilliant. Now, there are other members of the family had been kickboxing and doing really well. I mean, your brother Jake, for example. Yes, yes. So Jake, he's my younger brother. He's actually the youngest world champion in kickboxing history in WACO, which is my organization that I fight for. So Jake's a two-time world champion and my two little sisters then, Brooke and Zaya, they just got back from their first world championships in Yezlo in Italy and they got three silver medals between the two of them as well. Crikey. So it's really, it's it's become a family sport for us, you know, because with my dad now being, he coaches all of us and Colin O'Shaughnessy out in BMA Cork, they'd be our kickboxing coaches and it's become a family affair now at this stage, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, so at what stage did you decide? Like you were eight when your dad introduced you to it. You loved it and whatever. At what yep. stage, being nineteen now, did you decide? You know what? I'm taking this to the next level. I want to do this competitively. I mean, for us, there was always that culture of taking things to the next level. Whether it was like I became competitive in the sport more or less straight away. It was just the the areas in which I was competitive that changed. So it was always taking things to the next level. Whether it was say novice to intermediate or going for the next belt. And then it became a stage then where it was like, okay, let's get to a national championships. And then it was, let's win one. And then once I had won one, it was, okay, let's get to a world championships and then a European championships. And really the, the bar keeps being raised, but it's the same mindset we've had since day one. And that's all due to the, the team that I've got around me is they're all world-class at what they do. And that's, the culture that's created by that team is unparalleled across the sport, really. You know, between my dad to then Colin O'Shaughnessy and the likes of Andrew Thornton out in Toka Boxing Club as yeah. well, we outsource some of our training as well, you know. just to, It's the level that's portrayed by all of them helps me to, it lets me take things to the next level all the time, you know. Yeah. So yeah. now we're looking at yeah. a potential Olympics, a very, very possible Olympics yeah. in 2028. Oh, it's not an Olympic sport next year, but it could be in 2028, yeah? Yes, yes. So, WACO, the organization I fight for, is that's the premier organization in the sport. They're recognized by the IOC as well as the World Games, the UASA University Games. There's a whole, a whole list of things. But um, with the IOC, we got recognized, and it's very likely we're going to be put in for LA because we're actually leading the poll so far 
as the sports to be introduced in LA. Wow. So it's huge. Yeah, it's huge for us. This has been a long time coming for the sport. You know, I mean, kickboxing is around a lot longer than people know. Yeah. And it's just, it's finally about time that we get some recognition for us being a world-class sport. You know, we're world-class athletes. It's, off, it's, it's sometimes time. described, Taylor, and I know I only get this from watching movies, but it's sometimes been described as a, an ancient sport almost. It's been around for a very, very, very long time. It has. It has. I mean, you look at the roots of kickboxing and there's different styles of kickboxing. And it's come from all different places around the globe, but this is embedded into some cultures. You know, this is, the, it's around a very, very long time. I mean, it was, it was blasphemous. It wasn't in the Olympics already, but you know, we're here now. So it's a great opportunity the way things are lining up, especially like for me, I have, I, I could very, very really have that opportunity to not just be in the Olympics, but possibly to be the first Irish person to win it would be huge. And to be one of the first people full stop to win it is, is huge. You know, so that's something we're really, me and my team are really, really aiming off for that in 2028. Sounds to me like your whole family might be in for a shot at this. Yes, yes, that's another thing. (laughs) Taylor, you come from Cloyne, which would be more of a hurling area yes you know the birthplace of the great christy ring among among others like growing up and with your family so involved in in this sport in a place where it wouldn't have been the first sport you'd think of how'd your friends react i mean like for me when it comes to friends and and kickboxing i've always had a very small friend circle i think it's just it's better off that way and i would work better that way but like I have some friends that I have over over a decade, all they know is that I've been doing this, you know. So there's never an essence of of fear, so to speak. I think that's a stigma that's kind of attached to it, especially when it comes to combat sports, that your friends are afraid of you, you know. But actually, the sport serves as a great filter in terms of who's a real friend and who's not, because you'll find out very quickly who's not afraid to say anything to you. You know, like the friends, the people that I know now for a very long time are more like brothers to me. They have absolutely no problem, you know, but there's a huge, there's a divide anyway when it comes to the sport between my sporting life and my life with my friends. It's, it's very separate because, you know, not only am I an athlete, you know, we're not just athletes as kickboxers, we're martial artists. So we're not just taught how to hurt people, you know, that's not what it is. We're taught the sport, but we're also taught the, the martial art code, the, you've respect your integrity mm. your discipline your control those are all like this is this is a separator when it comes mm. to your personal life versus your sporting yeah. life right. you I know have, like you might be who, i have a friend who's a, a black belt in bjj and yeah. he would say the very same thing and you know if someone is causing trouble he said look listen mate don't i i could hurt you very badly but please can we talk yes. this out that's yeah, the mentality. That's always the first thing we're taught is avoid conflict if you can. Yeah. If it comes to conflict, you know what to do, but avoid it as much as you can. Because not only does it like not only could you potentially hurt someone, but like it's a bad look on the sport because people aren't going to see that someone attacked you. They're going to see that a kickboxer hurt someone, you know? That's unfortunately that's that's the stigma that's attached to it. But like with that being said, yeah, there's there's definitely a divide when it comes to personal life and sporting life. Yeah, yeah. Um, can is it easy? I mean, you, your your dad brought you into it, but is is it easy for young people who might be looking for a sport to try for them to get into it? Hundred percent, hundred percent. Out in BMA Cork, now I I help teach the kids class with my dad, and there's a bunch of other coaches too. 
And I mean, for kids, it's more like there's an emphasis on fun. You know, it's not a cruel sport. It's very accommodating at all the levels. You know, right down from like with kids, you have more games-based learning. It's fun. It's interactive for them. But at the same time, you're teaching them life lessons through a martial art. You know, it's like it's huge. And even for older people, there's no age. Like it's it's really special as a sport and that there's no age cap to it. You know, you can have people just starting when they're 20, when they're 30, when they're 40 and so on and so on. Or you can have kids coming in, like my little brothers and sisters coming in when they're three or four years old, you know? Yeah. it's It accommodates for everybody, right from hobbyists to elite athletes to people just doing it for fun. Right. So, assuming that it does make the Olympic list in, in 2028, you and presumably Jake and maybe your sisters as well will all be having a go. Um, exciting times ahead, but in the more immediate future, Taylor... What lies ahead? Yep. So I'm heading out next week, actually, to Turkey for the Senior European Championships, the WACO Championships. That's one of, one of, if not the hardest competitions in the sport. So I'm heading out the 12th. I'll be back from on the 20th. But um, it, the way it works in WACO, the way our organization works, is there's Europeans in the world, say, every second year. So Europeans this year, Worlds next year. Right. But that competition, that WACO Championships, is the single hardest competition to win in the sport. So whoever wins that is unanimously regarded as the best kickboxer in the world. Fancy your so chances? It's a huge there? opportunity. Fancy you your chances? Yes, definitely. You do. Definitely. And you're, again, it's thanks to the people that are around Taylor. me. You're brimming with confidence. <laughs> it's, it's, it comes from the team around me, though. That, a lot of that comes from, that's not just me saying it, that's the people I have around me are all world-class and they're all tightly knit. It's that core group that we have is really special. That's something that, that isn't seen a lot in sport full stop, to have a group of people that good at what they do and that care that much about how I am, how I'm doing. Like they all, it's because of them that success is facilitated. And, you know, and- this isn't just me. A lot of people say that kickboxing is an individual sport. It's really not. It's a team sport because, like, if you look at how much my success would be determined by the people around me, I'd be nowhere if it wasn't for them. Well, they're the ones who, you you do the business, but they get you there. Yeah. I get to take the glory for what all the hard work that they put in. You know, it's 100%. It's a team sport. It is. It's everything that they've put in. Again, from my dad, Colin O'Shaughnessy, to Andrew Torrington, and, the list goes on, you know. The list goes on. Yeah. There's, they're all world class at what they do. In terms of this, this event, in, it starts. You said on the on the twelfth. How many, how many bouts do you know who you'll be fighting in a first round? How many bouts would you have to win to get on a podium? So the way it's working so far, registrations more or less closed. There's twelve people in my division, including myself. So that means I'm maximum four fights, say to win. Um, that would be two fights, maximum two fights to get into the podium, to get into the semis. But um, the way it works, the way that works now with the WACO format is every day you win. So say there's a new round of the competition on each day of, of it. It's over the, the uh, course of a week. So say Monday could be your, your first rounds, Tuesday your quarters, and semis, finals then would be later on in the week. So you'll have one fight a day. Is, is what you'd be looking at. And then every fight you win, you progress to the next round. So four fights maximum based off of the numbers that are there. Can we get to watch this on telly anywhere, do you know? It's, or online? 
it's not televised yet, but yes, it's on YouTube. It's on YouTube through uh, Wacko Live. They have a YouTube channel, and they'll be live. They'll be live streaming the entire event throughout the whole week. Each tatami, so each area, there'll be a number of areas on at the same time. Um, I'll put up on my Instagram, um, my Instagram page, and my dad, etc. They'll put it up on their Facebook page. It's what time and Matt I'll be on. Fantastic. Um, Fantastic. But uh, yeah, so the the Instagram just I'll throw it out there. Just I'll be throwing things up. Just I'm trying to get attention to the sport really, and this this is big for it. So it's Taylor zero one three Hef is the name of mine, and I'll be putting up the times of each of the fights the night before. So we won't know until the night before. But I'll put it up, and then the YouTube channel then is Wacko Live, and you'll be able to get live streams from there. Deadly. And do you know now at this stage, Taylor, who's in your division? Have you had any chance to assess the competition so far? I do. <laughs> I do. I, I know everyone that's there so far. It's all sport the way data. You is said the, that, the way you said that. <laughs> do you know what? Do you know what it sounds like, Taylor? You said, I know who's there, and I know who I can get. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I'm a nerd of the sport. I don't have a life outside of it, so I've studied all of them. So you know, <laughs> you know, I, I'm so thrilled we had this conversation. The confidence in your voice is just magnificent. It's brilliant. Uh, thanks, thanks very I wish much. You so much. I wish you so much luck. In, in thank you, and thanks so much for the opportunity as well. You know it's what? not every day that someone gets to stand up and, and speak for the sport. So I really thanks guys for, thrill, for letting thrill. me do this. And we'd love to talk to you or your dad or someone when you're out there. Um, we'd love to we'd love to catch up. Love to catch up, Taylor. Brilliant, to definitely. Have you I can. I'll ring you midweek, and maybe when I get back, we can organise something as well. How good that would be, Taylor Heffernan from Cloyne, 19 year old Cork kickboxer, one of a family of kickboxers, actually heading off to Turkey, to the Waco Championships. The big one, the Waco Championships. The big one. By the way, uh, we'll, we will, we'll keep in touch. We'll stay in touch with them off the air because that's, it gets you. Do you know who's in your division? Yeah, I do. <laughs> There's just this sense about him. Do you know who's there? Yeah, I do. <laughs> oh yeah, by the way, uh, Callum Walsh, um, who's 21 from Riverstown, uh, is fighting in California and today, we're told, earlier today, which would be our time rather than their time, like in the stupid hours of the morning, California, they were in the evening. He had his fifth professional win, did Callum Walsh, against a man called Dylan Parsley. So well done to him. We're going to keep in touch with Taylor Hefferton. Do you know who's in your division? Yeah, I do. On the taxi situation downtown, Derek was making the point passionately as a taxi driver about how wrong he thinks it is that the taxis can't go the same direction as the buses, i.e. over Patrick's Bridge turning right or over Christie Ring Bridge turning right or that they can't turn right at the Coliseum corner there to go down towards the train station when the buses can. And he's making the point that traditionally, wherever a bus is allowed to go, a taxi is allowed to go. Uh, Paul was on to say, PJ, I'm a taxi driver too, but the right turn onto the bridges is just a right turn. It's not a bus lane. Yeah, but the point that Derek is making, Paul, is that this is the first time in his years as a taxi driver that where buses go, the taxi isn't allowed to follow. But your point is your point is valid. It's not actually a bus lane. It's just a right turn that only buses 
are allowed to take. 0818 96 96 96. On the 25th of November, Cove Ramblers will have a major event, uh, dinner or dance to, offend, to mark their 100th anniversary. It's the centenary of Cove Ramblers. And of course, here at Corks 96 FM, we're proud partners of Cove Ramblers in the League of Ireland. They have a huge event coming up on uh, the 25th. And the hope is that the most famous Cove Ramblers player ever to pull on the jersey will be there. The hope is that Roy Keane will be there because he's been inducted on the night into a Hall of Fame. Bill O'Leary is chairman of Cove Ramblers. Huge year for you all. Huge night coming up, Bill. And the hope is he'll be there. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, the hope is he he'll be there. And but 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 bear in mind, it's not the Roy Keane show, right? It's it's a celebration of 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 all of us and everyone that's been involved in the club over a hundred years, and um, and and we must take time to recognise that together and celebrate it, PJ. I mean, it's it hasn't been easy, right? If you look at it, um, it's particularly in the last forty years, I suppose, since we entered in the mid eighties, entered League of Ireland, then you, then you get into the semi-professional era, and lots of outgoings and expenses, and mm-hmm. so. You know the fact that we're still here, you know, and 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 doing the very best we can for Cove and Cork at a League of Ireland level is fantastic, and we need to recognise and and people that have contributed to that. PJ, you know. Yeah, I mean the, the history of the club. Go through it. A hundred years. I, w- I, w- I mean, I of course came across Ramblers in the early nineties, doing a bit of reporting. Yeah. On League on yeah. League of Ireland, I knew nothing about the club until I met some of the yeah. people involved in, in St Coleman's Park. You know. Yeah, well, I suppose if you look at it, we're we're a well loved and well regarded club, not only here in Ireland, but certainly in England and and and, and further further afield, through the diaspora as well, I suppose. But certainly through the Roy Keane factor and through the Stephen Ireland and, and and others who've who've played for us over the years. So, you know, we're well regarded and well liked. We haven't made many enemies, right? And I think that's important. And I think this will be a great celebration. But certainly the great years for us were, you know, in in, in the eighties and, and and into late eighties and and so on, and even winning. The, the first division title in, in 2007 as well but and we've been up and down a bit in the Premier League and we do recognise I mean if you look at this year PJ we've done all we can and we've done great things I think together as a club with the community over the last number of years mm. we're financially very in a very good position now but we do recognise I suppose we have to kind of invest in, in the team going forward and we need we need people with money in their pockets to help us do that you know um, it's become an increasingly money orientated game as you know and, 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 and money counts you know um, money talks ultimately. The, the, the but, old season but I, was difficult enough, but you got there in the end. It was. It was, it was. And we did win the Munster Senior Cup beating Cork yes. City, which was great, right? We played them five times, I think, over the season, unlucky in a couple of games, and we did beat them in that in Turner's Cross, which was great. And look, we're delighted in many ways that Cork have been promoted. It's great for Cork football, and uh, we're very much, you know, a complementary to each other. You know, we're not uh, we're not so much in competition, and we're all yeah. trying to achieve the same thing. The days of the uh, local PJ derbies, Port- the frequent local derbies in the, in the League of Ireland, though, you'd love to have them back. You would, you would, you would, but you know, yeah, and it would be fantastic. It would be fantastic for Cork. And we're making a lot of progress in that space. We're trying to get investment in the club, uh, PJ, over the next couple of months before we move into the 2023 season. I mean, coming back to the event, I think with all the craziness of modern life, you know, sometimes we don't as a group maybe take an opportunity to, to stop and think and just celebrate and reminisce and think about times past you know, and to celebrate people both living and, and, and deceased that have helped us achieve what we've done. And, um, you know, so you'll have ex-players there, you'll have current players, you'll have sponsors, you'll have 
politicians that have helped us. I mean, we did we did secure a sports capital grant of 300,000 through the, through the support of some local politicians. So they'll be there. Media will be there and so on. Um, and, 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 and fans and season ticket holders. So, and, and we also have a, a, you know, a hall of fame, which is, which is, you know, the, um, um, recognizing Roy and others, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch who've helped us yeah. as well as that. We have a team of the century, you know, so we've, we've players, would you believe going back to the forties, fifties. I, I could who, imagine who, who Roy would might be make that team. Oh yeah, I, I'd say he does. I'd, I'd say I'd say he will. I'd say I'd say we'll have some difficulty trying to explain PJ if he doesn't make it. So let's let's hope he does, right? So, who, actually, so excuse me, who's who's choosing the, the team of the century? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a good question. It's the season ticket holders and uh, and uh, and fans basically and members. Um, so that's done. That's done. But it was a lovely spread of of ages and 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 players from this from different decades that that are are in that team. So it's lovely for their families. Many of them have passed away, unfortunately, but it's going to be a lovely night to reminisce and remember those people. And uh, that's what sports all about: creating memories and joyful moments together. And yeah. did, did and I hear you have a it. ladies' team coming into the the league of we Ireland? Do, we do. We do, we do, PJ, and that's a big, and and that's been on our radar much before we saw the great uh, achievements of the Irish football team this year, which is to be congratulated. But mm. we had an under 17s team start last year, an under 19s ladies team starting in the coming year, and then moving into senior ladies, and we see that as a really huge growth area, you know, in terms of tapping into local talent and giving young girls the opportunity to represent Cove and Cork at a national yeah. level. It's fantastic, and it brings a whole different vibe and and sense of. I suppose, um, a sense of community when you've got women and girls playing in your teams, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, I can't imagine, I can't actually imagine how big it's going to be because we won't know until we get there, but there's going to be huge interest yes. in the Women's World Cup, like when we get there. Yes. And to have yes. a healthy a healthy Women's League of Ireland bodes so well for the future. Yes, and we, but we have a way to go there. It's very much mm. in its infancy, but oh, you see yeah. the likes of Wex. Yeah, you see the likes of Wexford and 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 so on, and this, uh, Wexford and Piedmont have done great things, and Shelburne are in Europe now next year, which is great, and and you've got an ex World Cup winner, I think, from the states, Heather O'Reilly, who's playing from the United States, who's playing now with Shelburne. So, I mean, the profile is improving all the time, and I think I think people again with money in their pockets will 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 come in behind it and and, and grow the game, and I think in ten years' time, we look back at it and think, wow, look look how far we've come, and. Um, you know, so it's great. So, is the event a sellout, or are there tickets to be had? There's still tickets to be had, PJ, and it's it, it's heading towards the sellout. So, we'll it, um, you'll be able to buy tickets either at the club, uh, at the club offices, or online through our social media, Facebook, Twitter, um, and website. Okay, and it's on on the twenty fifth of November at the Centenary yeah. Dance. And we're we're just where is it on? It's on in the Radisson Hotel in Little Island. We would have liked to have it in Cove, obviously, but I, I suppose in planning for it, the anticipation was that, that the, the hotels in Cove couldn't accommodate us, and, and uh, so we had to plan accordingly. Okay, big night ahead. So on the 25th of November for Cove Ramblers, celebrating 100 years, uh, naming the team of the century. The hope is Roy Keane will be there, but like Bill said, it's about so much more than Roy. Uh, but a big night for Cobra Ambers on the 25th of November. Some tickets for that at the club. On the traffic thing, Jimmy says, is it not time for a sit-in at the City Hall Chambers to sort out this traffic debacle once and for all? If we did that, maybe they'd listen. Jimmy, can't endorse that, can't recommend that. But there's people out there who would do it for you or start it for you, but I'm not going to endorse it. But I see your point. 
0818969696. Actually, we started this morning with a tweet from Declan with regard to traffic. He said he drove around Summer Hill and McCourton Street and it was like Christmas morning, an absolute breeze, and said it's obvious the traffic challenges are school-based. Should city centre schools change to 9.30 starts or even 10 or 8 even to help clear the traffic jams? Like, can you imagine trying to stagger all the school opening times across the city? They would be pillamaloo and hell for leather to play. But still, it's an idea. Uh, John Maher, Councillor John Maher says, well, not necessarily, it's entirely, not entirely school-based. You can have traffic jams at 8 o'clock, but it is an interesting idea. Maybe it would help. Well, it's uh, John, as I said here, and it's only last week, I was in a traffic jam at 10 o'clock at night. 10 o'clock at night, so it's, it's, it's not just, you're right, it's not, it's not just school time. Yep, this is all starting again on Monday. 10K Toy Giveaway is back from Cork's 96 FM. We had so much fun with this before, so we're doing it again. We're going to fill your Christmas with fun and play. 10K Toy Giveaway back on Monday. The details from Casey and Ross at 8.15 Monday morning and then we'll let you know what to do after that so the Cork's 96 FM 10k toy giveaway back from Monday 0818 96 96 96 here's an interesting night Case, uh, interesting idea Casey's Bar in Clonakilty continuing your entertainment James Casey but getting into the energy saving vibe as well morning hi PJ how are you Good. This is an interesting idea. What's the plan? So, um, long story short, our energy bills, our ESB bills used to be always around four and a half, five thousand euros for two months. And this summer it went up to ten thousand one hundred. What? Yeah, so she two and a half times well over Yeah. Well over double anyway. So uh, the thinking caps had to come out and we had to do something, you know. So I suppose the first thing we did was made the staff aware of it. And we have a kind of a Facebook group of all the staff. And we put up a picture of the ESB bill. And to be fair to the staff, they were very, very good. They, um, for example, now in cleaning up, they do the beer garden first and then they turn off the lights. And each part of the bar that they do, they turn off the lights after them. Um, you know, they'd be very aware then if there was no one in the beer garden that they'd have the, the heaters turned off and stuff like that. So awareness, I suppose, was a big part in trying to reduce the energy costs. But then we had to keep going and try our best, you know, to keep the place sustainable, not only for cost-wise as well, but for the planet. And I suppose doing our part to um, keep the energy crisis down. So we came up with an idea. We always had um, music on a Monday night. It was Monday Club with Danny O'Leary. Yes. And one day I rang Danny, the musician, and I said, Danny, we're thinking of doing a candlelight, acoustic night under candlelight. Wow. And Danny jumped in it, no hesitation, no nothing. He said, whatever, uh, I'm easy going. I'll adapt my side for you. Mm-hmm. So we came up with the idea of doing our Monday night music under candlelight no lights whatsoever and musician playing okay. so 
the first night anyway, um, I was actually late coming. We got a call out. So I was late coming. I didn't get there till about 10 o'clock. And I walked in and was really, I was really, really set back by it. It was, the atmosphere was great. It was lovely and warm. It was cosy. Um, you know, it was really, really nice to see it, to come in, to walk into a warm, cosy bar, just lit by candlelight and having music, um, and live musician interacting with the crowd and the crowd interacting with the musician. So it was really, really nice. And how was there a fair few in, James? So, um, it, it was there was a big crowd, but wow. for example, now last Monday night we had about eighty people in, so it's growing and growing. Oh, on a Monday night, they every can't, week. that's not to be sniffed at on a Monday. No, not at all. Wow, um, really, really happy, happy and flattered with it. That's fantastic. That's really brilliant. And every Monday night, from from every here Monday on, night, nine o'clock, yeah, with the lights off and the candlelight and the whole thing. That's brilliant. And delighted you get in those crowds. While I have you, James, this proposed change to the hours in 2023, the ability, if you want to, to open till 12.30 every night of the week and maybe late licence change and all that. How do you feel? How do the other pubs down around you there, how do you feel about all of this? So it is a, there's a bit of uncertainty about it and how it'll work and everything. But... Mm there's advantages and disadvantages to it. So I was in Australia for four years. I did a lot of security when I was over there on bars and nightclubs. So like there is advantages to it. Maybe not so much in Clonakilty town itself, but in the cities, definitely. Mm. So for example, you know, when the nightclubs and stuff, they all kind of finish at the one time, about three o'clock, half two, three o'clock, half three. So everyone be out in the streets at the same time. The chippers, the takeaways would be mad busy. The taxis would be mad under pressure. And, you know, if you stagger the times. So, for example, how I think it will work, some nightclubs and bars will continue. They'll finish at one o'clock, half twelve, one o'clock. Other places will finish at half two. Yeah. Uh, other places will finish at four o'clock. Other places will finish at six o'clock. And then people will drift away themselves. Yes. So there's no major pressure on the taxis, there's no major pressure on the yeah. takeaways all at the one time. That seems so that's one advantage positive, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that I think they'll come out of it. But then there's other disadvantages, you know, there'll be more people on the streets, there'll be more Gardaí wanted, you know, yeah. for longer periods of time and stuff like that. I know yeah. all that too. There's, well. a, there's a conversation to be had about it, no doubt, James. Listen, good luck with everything at Casey's, uh, particularly your Monday nights uh, and great positivity heading into a tough tough time for everybody, not just the, the pub sector, but there's one pub, pub finding their way around the problem. And that's it. That finishes out our week. Programme edited by Fergal Barry, produced and researched by Richard Vickery. Enjoy your weekend. Be nice to one another for goodness sake. We could do with more of that. See you Monday, just after nine. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.